All your favorite CBC podcasts are now available on YouTube. The best in award-winning true crime investigations, hilarious comedies, vibrant pop culture conversations, and even more audio series are all available on CBC Podcast's YouTube channel. You'll also find exclusive video first episodes, YouTube shorts, and behind-the-scenes content from our hosts and producers that you can't find anywhere else. So if YouTube is your go-to source for podcasts, just search CBC Podcasts and hit subscribe, and you'll never miss the latest update. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Here's the thing. When you're a kid growing up, there's a pretty good chance that you grow up thinking there's no way there's anything in the cards for you to be like an author or a rapper or a poet or an actor or anything like that. Because chances are you grow up not knowing anyone who lives a life like that. Bob Odenkirk wanted his kids to know that they could do anything. You might know Bob as Saul Goodman from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. He's also a comedy writer. His show, Mr. Show with David Cross, is considered one of the most influential comedy shows of all time. He was an early writer on Late Night with Conan O'Brien, my favorite comedy show of all time. Anyway, one of the ways that he taught his kids they could do anything was to have them write poems with him during story time. And now, years later, Bob's kids are adults, and he and his daughter, Erin Odenkirk, have just published their first children's book, and it's full of all those poems they wrote together all those years ago. It's called Zillet and Other Important Rhymes. And before you get the dictionary out, Zillet is a word Bob's son used to call like an indoor blanket tent, like a blanket fort. So you're going to hear my conversation now with Bob Odenkirk, with his daughter, Erin Odenkirk, on creativity and an unconventional, conventional childhood. Here's my conversation with Bob and Erin Odenkirk. How are you? Welcome to the show. We're well. How are you? Thanks for having us. We're good, man. Thanks for having us. It's super cool to be here. It's super cool to have you. Aaron, can you tell me about writing these poems, like just that story about like writing these poems with your dad when you were growing up? Yeah, of course. It was um, it was a bedtime tradition that he started where we would all pile into my brother's room and he would read like two or three short-ish books to us or maybe like a chapter of a Tintin or Roald Dahl type book. Um, and then afterwards, we would whip out a notebook and write two or three poems. Maybe it was about something that happened to one of us that day, or maybe it was just started with a funny word or a funny idea. And we would volley back and forth, writing lines at a time. Uh, and it really built up. There's like a hundred something original poems stuck in this book that my dad called Old Time Rhymes and put on the shelf with our other kids' books. Uh, and that was sort of the first generation. And then cut to like 10, 12, 15 years later, I'm 19 and the pandemic happens and I have to come home from college and I'm just sitting around after my semester ends. And I think Bob felt kind of bad for me. So he pulled the book out <laughs> and he was like, let's 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 see what happens if I, you know, punch up a few of these and you draw a few little drawings. At the very least, it'll be a fun project and uh, an expansion of a memento. And at the very most, you know, we'll go on a U.S. book tour with it <laughs> in three years. <laughs> it's, it's, Wait, let I mean, me read one of the let me read one of the originals. You have you just held up the original book for us. You have you. This is the yeah. one you wrote in like lying in bed with your. This is the one. Yeah. This well, is we the would one. sit on this comfy chair and uh, we read a lot of books. 
every night. I enjoyed it, but we we kind of overpromised because we would sit down with a stack every night. And this did not make the book, right? This did not make Zillit, okay? Just to give you an example of when you write a poem with a kid, you get stuff like this. Bicycles go so quick. Wear a helmet. Do a trick. Use your brakes, for goodness sakes. Ring your bell so we know you're well. Wave and smile. Watch out for that crack. Fly over the handlebars. Land on your back. So <laughs> not a great not a great poem. I thought it was pretty good. You know, the kids, like every other line is a kid um, writing. Um, here's another one. Bill, Bill went up the hill that he had spied from his windowsill. He grew hungry for he'd forgotten a snack. When he looked at his house, his sister waved back. There's, you know, these are the raw material, I'm telling you, that became the the finished, rewarding poems in the new book, Zillet and Other Important Rhymes. I, I love hearing those. I love hearing those as they are. Like I love, I love, I love the original ones. And and Bob was like, what was, I mean, was that the goal? Was the goal like, hey, I want my kids to know that they can make stuff. Yes. Uh, initially, Tom, that was the that was the inspiration was I, I had met a few people in the course of my career, not many, but a few who'd grown up in showbiz households. And I could see that they had a degree of confidence or a sense of belonging that I thought was enviable and worthy. Uh, which is to say they didn't question whether it was possible for them to be a writer, director, actor, presenter, whatever. They did want to be good at it. It doesn't mean they thought they were magically good at it. And in some ways, I felt they had a more realistic sense of the challenges of being a creative um, professional. But what they did is they didn't question the basic premise that maybe they could do that too. And I thought, I want my kids to think that way about life. I don't know what they'll be. I'm happy if they're a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, uh, whatever, any million, an engineer, anything. But I'd like them to at least see the world and realize I'm going to make that world one day. I'm going to be one of those people. And I think a simple way to do it is to take out a piece of paper, write something with them. When you read on your reading time, also write and then stick it on the same shelf that the books are on that you purchased. And it'll, I don't know, maybe suggest to them that they too will be a part of creating and building the world. Aaron, did it work for you? In some ways it did. I mean, here I am now, right? I went to art college and I've always taken art classes and it almost worked so well that I never really pictured myself doing anything else. Like I never, I never met a doctor who was like, you could be a doctor too someday, kid, <laughs> who that, you know, that planted a seed in my head. Um, this just always like made the most sense to me and felt the most natural. And I think while it did sort of shoot me on this path, the one thing I still had to overcome that I think this book is helping me overcome is uh, my own like critical eye and my own uh, feeling of deserving it. And I think 
especially coming from Hollywood, there's like a presumption of entitlement. And I feel almost like I'm, I've given myself the opposite of that. Like I feel so unentitled to everything uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that, uh, you know, working on this book and really putting in the hours and seeing what it got me. And then also remembering once I got it, that I had put in the hours to get there. Uh, that was the, my own struggle with it. Is, is Bob, did you have someone in your own life, like showing you that you could be creative when you were a kid? Um, no, absolutely not. No. I mean, being in show business or being in a creative endeavor was not remotely uh, discussed or encouraged or, you know, I mean, my mom was an incredibly utilitarian person who everything you did, if it didn't get the dishes clean or wash the clothes, it was pointless. Um, you know, uh, she had seven kids and nobody helping her. So I guess that makes sense. But it was a very utilitarian uh, perspective on living, which is be, you know, do a, do a, either be a doctor or a or a plumber or. You know, she just didn't believe in college, really. Do something that like do something that makes something. Do something that just has, do like, something a, yeah. that makes the world fixes a problem in the world, uh, a real problem, like a, <laughs> one you can see. Or be a priest would be the other dream of hers. <laughs> we'll be right back. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm DeLon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let me go back to the book. I really, I love how kind of playful this book is. Bob, I love how you said, like, you know, there's kind of a kid in, in every second line on this. And I can kind of see the collaboration between the two of you happening together. Can you, Aaron, can you take it, like, this is a podcast radio show thing. Can you describe how you approach the illustrations? I know it's not easy when we can't see them. Yeah, uh, I can. I'm starting in, in retrospect, I'm starting to be able to understand how it came to be. And I think it's this sort of blend of the style I really like that's a bit darker, like Edward Gorey, uh, these kind of like older cartoonists, maybe some of the some of the cynicism from the Peanuts and the Mutts, and Tony Millionaire's like Hatchwork and Ink Use. Um, that was like that. I love that stuff, and now I love like Charles Burns and Adrian Tomine and sort of like modern graphic novelists that use like a have a more serious like artistry and that's sort of what I wanted out of this book initially but once we started to look at what Zillit really was becoming uh, as it evolved it was really for this younger audience like maybe four to eight years old and so then I started to lean into more like Dr. Seuss 
uh, Caliph Brown, like kind of brighter, colorful, simpler images. Um, and I hope that this final style is some sort of blend in between, like a, if you could imagine like Shel Silverstein for a younger audience with Dr. Seuss, like 70s type pastel color palette. It's, uh, it's, 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 you're right. It's, I, when I was looking at it, it felt really familiar to me. It felt kind of nostalgic to me, but no part of it felt like I was reading a throwback, you know, and it, it, it still felt right. like I was reading something very, something that felt, that felt more modern. Well, listen, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time before, before we go, um, Bob, how'd you, how'd you feel about reading one more? Maybe from one that oh, got, yeah. got in the book, like one that got into the, to the real thing. Well, tell me a little bit about oh. it before you read it. Oh, yeah. Oh, so uh, I'm happy to read a poem from Zillet and other important rhymes. I'll read one of the originals, which is to say a poem that came from uh, the when the kids were little and we were originally writing these. And then I'll read one from uh, the last three years that was written fresh. So this one's called Upside Right. It's original. A hat for my foot set on top of my shoe to keep the rain off it and when the sun's out, keep it cool. It's ridiculous, some have said, but not as ridiculous as the shoe on my head. And now let's do, um, yay. Uh, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this one because I love this one. This is an original too. Inside, <clears throat> inside every child who is jumping around is a grandpa or grandma desperate to sit down. <laughs> Trust me, though, when I say that inside of old folks moving careful all day are vibrant, rowdy young'uns hollering, hey there, let's play. That is not true. But I was just about to say, that feels that does feel accurate to you, maybe. Well, it's. I think it's just a, trying to plant the thought in uh, kids' heads that they're that their grandparents might want to have fun and play with them and, and, and be silly. Okay. Um, Give me one more. Give me one more. This one's called Umbrella Practice. This is an original, and we used to do this at our home in Los Angeles. <clears throat> Dad shouts, grab your umbrellas. It's time for our practice. Mom says, but we live in a desert. Our yard's full of cactus. So for one minute only, Dad sprays the hose like a geyser. He gets soaking wet while we stay somewhat drier. We practice stomping around, making splishes and splashes. Someday we might live where it rains. We might even own galoshes. Dad warns us, be prepared. You're not waterproof. He says it's his duty. Mom says he's a goof. <laughs> so it, we actually did that. Played um, umbrella practice, I would call it. Then they'd get because the, it never rained in L.A. And I don't even know why we had umbrellas. There's no reason. But we had them in the closet. And I said, kids, get those out. I'll show you how they work. And we sprayed the, ho the hose up and they loved it. I actually have a picture I could show you of little Aaron from one of those days. Oh, come and on. That's umbrella practice. It looks <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, And that's her brother, Nate. Aaron, this must be like, in addition to working on this project with your dad, getting to do something creative and all that kind of stuff, it must It must also, this is sort of like, I'm realizing now from talking to you, and I didn't realize this before, 
this is also a, a, a bit of a, like a snapshot of your childhood. It's like a little bit of a, yeah. you know what I mean? It's crazy. It's, um, the more we talk about it, the more it's just becoming like stories. But when I really sit and think about it, and especially when I hold that old book in my hand, it like, it's like remembering a dream, you know, like that feeling really hits me. Um, and I, I love my childhood. I am so happy to share it with the world and share the side of my dad. And mostly selfishly, what I think about is having kids one day or maybe being an aunt one day and reading this with that kid and the super crazy meta experience of like sharing that joy in that moment, sharing some bit of myself from when I was 19 and then also sharing some bit of myself from when I was like five and the relationship I had had with my dad, like how cool would that be to see something that your parent wrote with their parent uh, and get to like enjoy that generational experience with them. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful book and it's been nice to talk to the two of you. Thanks so much for making the time for us. Thank, Thank you, man. Tom. Hope you're having a great day. Thanks to Bob and Aaron Odenkirk. That was very cool for me. Uh, to get to talk to him and we're hoping maybe we'll get Bob back on talk a little bit about old Coco talk a little bit about Conan talk a little bit about Breaking Bad all that kind of thing I think it's I think it's going to happen the other conversation we have up today you want to talk about pressure Jeremy Dutcher on his first go his first album not an EP like just puts out a, puts out a record and it wins uh, the most prestigious music prize in Canada the Polaris Music Prize and now five years later after people like me pestering him he has to follow it up and I'll tell you what's been on his mind. Okay, we'll, we'll go check that out. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.